లవింగ్ సాయిరామ్ అండ్ గ్రీటింగ్స్ ఫ్రమ్ ప్రశాంతి నిలయం దిస్ ఈజ్ మై సెకండ్ మ్యూజింగ్ స్టాక్ ఇన్ ద సిరీస్ ఆన్ ది ఎసెన్స్ ఆఫ్ ది గీత ద ఫస్ట్ స్టాక్ వాజ్ ఇన్ ద నేచర్ ఆఫ్ ఎ జనరల్ ఇంట్రొడక్షన్ ఫ్రమ్ నో ఆన్ వీ షెల్ ప్లంజ్ ఇన్ టు ది గీత అండ్ డ్రింక్ యాజ్ మచ్ ఆఫ్ ఇట్స్ ఎసెన్స్ ఎస్ పాసిబుల్ ఇన్ గోయింగ్ త్రూ దిస్ ఎక్సర్సైజ్ I shall not be taking you sloka by sloka and chapter by chapter. However, this does not mean I shall do a random walk across the chapter by no means. For example, today I shall be speaking mainly about chapter 2. Whatever it is I am dealing with, I shall generally focus on the main theme of the chapter concerned and try to explain how that theme is connected to Mama Dharma. That is because, as I explained earlier, Mama Dharma is the true essence of the Gita. By the way, I am not making that up. That is what Swami has told us. During this guided tour, I shall of course cite some of the key slokas involved, just to assure you I have not pushed the Gita proper into the back burner. I hope you get the general idea. Now, although this talk could deal mostly with the second chapter, I simply cannot plunge into it right away. I have to set it up with a brief reference to chapter 1. As you might be knowing already, the Gita opens with Sanjaya, specially gifted with distant vision, for describing to the blind king Dhridharashtra, the father of Kauravas, the scene in the battlefield in Kurukshetra just prior to the commencement of the battle. As a part of this running commentary, Sanjaya tells the blind king that Krishna, who is acting as Arjuna's charioteer, is taking the chariot to the middle of the battlefield, positioning it right between the two opposing armies. Krishna does this because Arjuna wants him to. And why does Arjuna want that? So that he could survey the two armies. Looking at the two armies, especially that of the Kauravas, led by the grand old patriarch Bhishma, Arjuna, who till then was itching to wage war, begins to have misgivings. Arjuna tells Krishna that his heart was sinking at the prospect of having to fight and slay close blood relatives, including cousins, uncles, grandfather and his gurus. Far better it is, says Arjuna, to beg for a living than to win a kingdom by killing one's near and dear. A crestfallen Arjuna then lets slip his bow out of his hands, symbolizing his reservations and despondency. Krishna then turns to Arjuna and at first reprimands him. Then begins the divine discourse that we call the Bhagavad Gita. This reprimand and the divine teaching commence in the second chapter known as the Sankhya Yoga. By the way, every one of the 18 chapters in the Gita is called a yoga. The word yoga means union with God. Thus, every chapter contains some lesson about the road to God. Sankhya Yoga means yoga of discrimination and wisdom. Arjuna was refusing to fight because his judgment was getting clouded. Clouded by what? By ignorance. Why is ignorance having its say? Because Arjuna is not exercising his power of discrimination, spiritual discrimination. What exactly does this discrimination help us to do? It helps us to distinguish clearly 
between the permanent and the impermanent why is such discrimination necessary because observing and adhering to mama dharma requires us to discharge our duties keeping in mind the permanent and not be fooled by the impermanent which the world is full of by the way when i use the word discrimination please note that what i really mean is spiritual discrimination you might well ask listen what is all this discrimination business got to do with arjuna's basic problem his problem was simple he simply did not want to fight and kill his grandfather guru etc killing one's guru for example is a heinous crime that's why arjuna did not want to fight his argument is pretty clear where is the lapse in logic where is the lack of discrimination and how can one say that killing one's blood relative is a violation of one's dharma is it one's dharma to kill relatives what kind of twisted logic is that that is the beauty of the way krishna set it all up in life we often face these kind of dilemmas and we usually choose a path that helps us to avoid difficult options but in making such a choice we also often skip the observance of mahama dharma it is the collection of such failures that ultimately leads humanity to sink into a morass we thus see here a beautiful aspect of the divine dramatist he sets up what seems like a black and white situation and then makes us mistake black for white and vice versa having done so krishna tells us oh man you are a fool things are not what they often seem to me you are deluded because of lack of discrimination i will tell you how exactly to go about your business so that is how the lord sets up the sankhya yoga it's a brilliant opening is it not and now a few general remarks about this chapter after which i shall take you through a rapid tour of it here are the remarks one the crisis or moral dilemma that arjuna faced related to action what exactly should he do confronted as he was with two options both of which appeared to have their own merits two Arjuna's dilemma illustrates the problem of making a choice when confronted with difficult options. This is sometimes called dharma sankatam. 3. In life, we frequently have to make a choice amongst many alternatives. For example, while dressing to go to work, you may wonder which shirt to wear. There are many possibilities and you have to make a choice. Fortunately, questions of dharma do not enter here. However, you may be confronted with a situation where you may be for example called upon to pay a bribe to get a certain thing done. Should you simply pay up and get the job done quickly or not pay the bribe? If you do not pay the bribe or speed money, you might have to wait for eternity. Is that okay? Should one wait forever for dharma to work? 4 whenever there is a choice related to purchase job selection etc the normal procedure followed is one of critical analysis then evaluation and finally making a firm decision at the root of it all is discrimination 5 everyone must have the ability to discriminate and make the proper choice be it in relation to family matters business or nation building 6 however when it comes to matters of ethics and morality often the choices are not easy to make so what should one do how exactly should one proceed 
how does one build up this faculty of proper spiritual discrimination what happens if one fails to do that that is the lesson that krishna teaches arjuna after creating first a situation in which arjuna finds himself confronted by a moral dilemma people often imagine that krishna just told arjuna to get up and fight and that really is what bhagavad gita is all about this is not correct krishna talked to arjuna not so much about fighting but about doing one's duty and doing it properly krishna goes about this in the second chapter in the following manner one first krishna asks arjuna to make a clear distinction between that which is permanent and that which is temporary in modern parlance one could loosely interpret this as making a distinction between the short term and long term aspects of the problem two krishna then says that life is a sequence of actions and before performing any action we must be careful to make sure it is a proper action as a first step one must learn to identify the short and long term implications three having identified the two main sorting bins comes now the problem of making a proper choice for this says krishna one needs discrimination spiritual discrimination to be more precise the word krishna uses is buddhi four how does one bring buddhi into play buddhi would not functioning just like that to get started one must prepare the ground five this means one must first practice some internal discipline via sense and mind control six only a person that has his senses and mind under control can think calmly and make a detached judgment in other words the second chapter is all about proper action how engaging in proper action requires first identifying clearly the options and then discriminating wisely the latter would not be possible unless one practices a certain amount of self discipline via sense and mind control let us quickly see how all this is relevant in the case of arjuna's problem Arjuna did not know whether he should fight as he had sworn earlier he would or he should not fight the question thus was what was the path of action he must pursue to fight or not to fight to help him to decide Arjuna tries to analyze the consequences of the two options in terms of death destruction etc etc Krishna says this is a mistake Krishna says one must first distinguish between the permanent and the impermanent thus it is that Krishna says Arjuna you are doing the analysis in terms of the body that is in terms of death and life this is wrong make the atma the basis of your question and analysis not the body after this comes a definition of proper action discrimination etc so that is the way we must try and follow the sequence of ideas when we do that we would realize that one way or the other everything that krishna says in the gita relates to mama dharma let us get back to the basic question how do i perform my duty the simple answer is always perform the right action however knowing what exactly is the right action is a bit tricky and this is where the second chapter offers an incomparable tutorial 
After that somewhat long preamble, maybe we should get started. So let me begin by quoting some of the important slokas relating to the Atma. In the second chapter that is. This is what Krishna tells Arjuna. The Blessed Lord said, Thou mournest for them, thou shouldst not mourn. And utterest vain words of wisdom. The wise sorrow neither for the living nor the dead. This is Sloka 2.11. For never was a not nor thou nor these kings nor will any of us cease to be hereafter. This is Sloka 2.12. As the embodied one, Atman, successively experiences in the present body infancy, youth and old age, even so he does when passing to another body. This is Sloka 2.13. The Atman is neither born nor does it die, nor once having been will it ever cease to be. Unborn, eternal, ancient, it is not destroyed when the body is slain. Sloka 2.20 As a man casts off worn-out garment and acquires others that are new, even so the indweller casts off worn-out bodies and enters others that are new. Sloka 2.22 Weapons cannot cut it, nor can fire burn it. Water cannot wet it, nor can wind dry it. Sloka 2.23 So much for a few invaluable tips about our true nature. Incidentally, we all have heard Swami often raise the question, Who am I? in many of his discourses. The next time you hear that, please let your mind go back to the above verses or slokas that I quoted. They contain the answer. The answer is, I may have a body that carries a name given to me by my parents. That is the name by which the world might know me. However, that is not the real me. The real me is the Atma within. The next point, what about right action or right duty? In this context, the following sloka becomes very, very important. The sloka is, action alone is thy province and not the fruits thereof. Seek not the fruits of action, nor shouldst thou avoid action. This is Sloka 2.47. This is an oft-quoted sloka and heavily interpreted too. But we shall try and take a look at it in the context of Mamadharma. It says effectively, O man, your actions, whatever they are, fail to come under the category of Mamadharma if the action is performed with a selfish motive. The lower self is given to attachment and selfishness and actions performed to gratify the lower self in one way or the other means that importance has been given to the body which is impermanent rather than to the Atma which is permanent. In short, avoid actions related to self-advantage. Instead, focus on selfless actions because they are always rooted in and flow from your true nature, the Atma. We often talk about how selfless Swami's actions invariably are. That is so because all actions of all avatars on all occasions always reflect the true nature of the avatar, namely the divinity that the avatar personifies. This brings us to the matter of making the right choice, which is where buddhi enters the picture. The following are some of the slokas related to the exercise of buddhi, 
while discriminating properly and making the right choice where action is concerned. Act thou, O Dhananjaya, renouncing attachments, even-minded in success and failure, verily equilibrium is yoga. This is Sloka 2.48 For motivated action, O Dhananjaya, is far inferior to desireless action. Seek thou refuge in equanimity. Wretched are the result seekers. This is Sloka 2.49 The key words in the above Sloka are attachment and equanimity. Let us pause a bit and try to understand what they imply. Attachment is a characteristic of the mind-body combination that is a part of the human personality. The senses colluding with the mind make a person go after the attractions of the world. The question arises, why do people develop attachments and desires which the Lord says are not good for man? This needs a bit of examination. In brief, there are six evil tendencies that humans can be easily corrupted by. They are Kama, Krodha, Loba, Moha, Madha, Matsarya. Swami has cited them so many times that I really do not have to add a detailed explanation of these six deadly enemies. These are the six traditional deadly snakes lurking inside and waiting to strike. Swami adds two more to the list. They are Ahamkaram and Mamakaram, meaning ego and pride, arising out of sense of mind, which also leads to a kind of possessiveness. Krishna tells Arjuna that all these snakes hide in the crevices, nooks and corners of the mind. How exactly do they operate and how come they are so successful in trapping man? Swami has explained that beautifully. Basically, they drag the senses to the outer world which is full of attractions, like gambling for example. The senses then tempt the mind, which if it succumbs, then leads the body on the wrong path and makes it perform wrong actions. This being a crucial point, let me go over it slowly and once more. The vices, kama, krodha, etc. are all like agents or touts. They try to sell various worldly attractions to the senses. The senses which report to the mind, remember the mind is the boss of the senses. The senses try to make the mind get hooked on the pleasures and attractions of the world like gambling, drinking and so on. Bosses are of two kinds, weak bosses and tough bosses. If the mind acts like a weak boss, it follows the senses into the outer world along the treacherous paths sold by the touts to the senses. Then follows disaster. People ask, does that mean that senses are bad? In that case, why did God endow man with senses? Is not God being very unfair? A valid doubt, no doubt. But at the same time, it is a result of superficial thinking. God has endowed not only man but also the animal with senses. With good reason. Thanks to the senses, animals can smell, they can hear, they can see, etc. God has endowed living beings with senses for survival and protection against dangers in the external world. For example, when a tiger feels thirsty, it can, thanks to its eyes, look for water. Similarly, when a deer hears suspicious noises in the neighborhood, it suspects the presence of a tiger nearby. In fact, 
Many animals have a very sensitive capacity for smell and they can literally smell danger. Thus, thanks to the senses, animals can protect themselves against danger. Man too needs similar protection, which is why the compassionate God has given him five senses. The problem is that man misuses the senses for getting attracted to the pleasures of the world. He is not supposed to do that, but he does it anyway. And that is the starting point of all problems. Maybe you think I have strayed far from Arjuna and his moral dilemma. Not at all. Let us start from the beginning. Arjuna did not want to fight. That was because he was confusing wrong for right and right for wrong. Why did Arjuna's thinking process stray like this? Because his mind was weak. Why was his mind weak? Because it had been corrupted by attachment. Where from does attachment arise? It arises when one immerses oneself too much in the external world. Swami describes Arjuna's problem beautifully. He says, quote, Arjuna, know that all the people you are so concerned about are only chariots. They may be grandfathers, they may be brothers, they may be cousins. Whosoever they may be, they are all only chariots. Your vision is clouded because you are all the time looking at and thinking only about the bodies you see. You must instead concentrate on the indweller who is seated in every body. Then only would your vision become sacred. The unchanging object is the Atma, whereas the external beauties of the bodies and all the thoughts, feelings and behaviors exhibited by these bodies are just images. They are only shadows without real substance. At present, you are still living with so many attachments. When you are so bound up, how can you develop equanimity? Recognize the truth which is permanent. Attach yourself to divinity. End of quote. In the Gita, the words that Krishna uses are Dwelling with the mind on sense objects develops attachments. As Swami points out, attachments can cloud judgment. So you see, the Lord is not merely giving a command to Arjuna to get up and fight. If that is all Krishna wanted, namely for Arjuna to get up and fight, he could have just used a stern tone and commanded him to do so. Yes, Krishna did want Arjuna to fight. However, the fighting was not the important part, but performing action that was in conformity with Mamadharma. Krishna being the perfect teacher knows how to coax his student. He does this by explaining in full the reason behind his advice. And Krishna does it for a more important reason, which is that he wanted the Gita to become the manual of life that would guide all humans at all times along the path of Dharma so that they can eventually become one with God. I am sure it must have been a heavy dose. So, I shall stop here. Next time, I shall continue from where I have left off today. I still have a few more things to say about the teachings of the Lord in the second chapter. That I will do maybe next time. Let me remind you once more that my focus is always on Mama Dharma, that Swami says is the essence of the Gita. If you have followed closely what I have said today, you would appreciate that Krishna presents his teachings with detailed explanations so that we can clearly understand how they are relevant for all times for all people, no matter where they are. Thanks for listening. 
జై సైరాం